Okay, if uh, you're given a Bible on the way in, or if you've got your Bibles uh, here with you, please turn to John chapter 14. We're going to be reading from verse 15. Uh, I did have down to 21, but I'm actually going to finish the chapter because uh, I'm allowed to do that once I'm up here. I'm going to change things. And I was reading it just before I got up and thought I should have just gone to the end of the chapter. So we're going to be in John uh, 14, beginning at verse 15. Before I do that, my apologies. There is no PowerPoint this morning. Uh, I've had an issue with my computer, uh, something to do with licensing. It's probably a simple fix. I'll go on various websites and uh, uh, books and I'll have a look and then I'll call Alan Pattle and he'll come and fix it for me. But until then, um, sorry, uh, I did intend to uh, bring one but this morning it wouldn't let me do it, so there you go. You have to listen harder. So if you're in John uh, chapter 14, and I'm going to read from verse uh, 15, and these uh, are words of Jesus to his disciples then, uh, but also to his followers, that's me and you, uh, this morning. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realise that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. And Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. So the title as we go about uh, this series, Cultivate the Spirit-Filled Life, when we cultivate something, we nurture it, we water it, it's been planted and we want it to grow. We don't just leave it on its own, otherwise it dies. So we need to cultivate this spirit-filled life. Um, Now, when I was young, so much younger than today, if you're a Beatles fan, um, I remember uh, there are things that I learned from my parents that I said I'd never do. And one of those things was, and I used to hate it, and discipline then was uh, probably a little bit firmer than it is now. I'm not sure if it's done us any good or not. But, um, but I used to hate it when the, my mum or dad would say, like, go and do this or do something this way. And I'd say, why? Because that's what young boys do. And the answer, which wasn't very informative, was because I said so. And I used to hate it. And I thought, well, I'll never do that with my kids. Um, and, and invariably, I was so annoyed, I'd go and do it anyway. I was quite a naughty little boy. And, um, and so when my kids were growing up, I, I took this view as a parent, and no, I'd explain to them 
why I'm saying don't do something or they should do something. And after about 10 minutes, it got to the point where I said, because I said so, now just go and do it. Because they were good at arguing and fighting back. Um, uh, some other things I said I'd never do, like garden centres, but let's not get into that. Uh, I'll go there as well now. Uh, but God's not like that. He tells us, he tells us why his ways are a blessing for us. It's not just because I said so, although you could take it like that, but then the Bible becomes nothing more than the rule book. Uh, it's about a relationship, and there's a purpose uh, behind it. Uh, do you know the most often sung song at a funeral? Did it my way. Okay, and, and, and unfortunately for a lot of people, God will say, well, you did, and I'm going to honour your decision. What a travesty, but we've got a culture that says, I want to do it my way. And as the culture has turned its back on God, even, dare I say, some churches, you know, we still want to do things our way, and, and then God's blessing leaves them. But as Christians, we've got to say, we want to do things God's ways. We, we know we know this. You know, this is not hard teaching, which we'll come on to later on, but so often we rebel. So often we rebel. And there's a challenge, I think, for the church, especially in the West, uh, against its apathy and to regain its heart for mission. Uh, Jesus' mission, which I say here again and again, to seek and save the lost. But there's also a heart of discipleship. There's this heart of cultivating a spirit-filled life because when the spirit comes to live within us, he gives us that desire. And as we begin to seek, or sorry, as we continue to seek to cultivate a life in the spirit, one of the keys to growing is a willingness and a heart, not, not just a sense of duty and obedience, but a willingness to do and obey what God calls us to do. But what's the motive? Is it, uh, as some seem to think, a graceless, loveless rules and regulations, rule book, just there to spoil our fun, keep us hemmed in? Not allowed to do the things we want. And if we have that heart, it leads to rebellion because we rebel. It leads to disobedience because we don't really want to do it. And it leads to a a loveless relationship. And the Bible, as I've said already, becomes a rule book. And then all that leads to is resentment. People don't want to do the things that they know they ought to. They resent it. They resent the service they give. They resent any kind of devotion to God. You know, why should I give up my time for him? When Moses, in Exodus 20, heard God speak the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, you could argue, oh, here we go, here are the rules now that I've got to live by. Here's the legalism, which people love to call it. Here's what I have to measure up to, although you never really will. What sort of God is this to put these constraints on me? How is this love? So really, I'm thinking about doing a series on the Ten Commandments at another stage. Um, because we went through the Sermon on the Mount and really Jesus opens up the Ten Commandments, makes it even more about the heart. But let's just quickly whiz through them. No other gods before me. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. If God is God, if God is God, there should be, he's the only God. And all the other religions, and we're not really allowed to say it too much, but we can because we still live in a free country, are false. They're drawing us away and they draw people away from the one true God. And so it's in his care for us that he says, don't have any other gods before me. There is one true God. Deception is out there. Jesus said it, didn't he? The first and greatest commandment is to love God. Second, no idols. Don't bow down to idols. He says, I'm a jealous God. I mean, have you ever experienced jealousy before? I mean, I have. You know, I've had um, some girlfriends in the past. Um, and, you know, if they fancied another boy, I'd be jealous. I'd be saying, you're supposed to be with me. 
What are you doing? Thankfully, I didn't marry any of them. I married Andrea. I'd be jealous if her attention started going elsewhere. That's not a bad trait. If I wasn't jealous, I wouldn't love her. No, she's not into... We're going to have prayer ministry after Andrew. If anything to confess, you can come and see me only. Um, but I would be jealous. But what, would the jealousy be uh, because I'm a vindictive person? Or would it be because I love her? Well, God loves you. And he's a jealous God. He does want, not want you to bow down to anyone or anything else. Third, um, uh, third uh, commandment. Don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. One of the most often things you'll hear in pubs, clubs, high street is the misuse of the name of God. Swearing contexts. Just how's that going when we look at God's judgment on society? Fourth one, remember the Sabbath. A full day of rest. You know that's the longest commandment in the Bible? In the, sorry, in the Ten Commandments. It's the longest commandment, but I bet all of us break that from time to time. And we kind of wish it away. We sort of say, oh, well, you know, yeah, I had to work a seven-day week this week. Do we think we're better than God who took a rest? It's a commandment. We ignore it and we get tired out. We get worn out. I mean, imagine if I just went down a bit, bearing in mind where that comes. That's the fourth one. And I started murdering people. And I said to you, I had a bad week this week, so I murdered a couple of people. Is that all right? You go, yeah, that's no problem. It's only one of the commandments. Yet we take the Sabbath and whatever day that is for you. It's important we have our rest, isn't it? We, 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 we're... Um, diligent about this in the office. I mean, it doesn't always work. Ministry has its ebbs and flows, and there are weeks. But then I insist on myself and on the others. If they don't, they have a day in lieu. Not because we're trying to nick time, because it's a command in the Bible to have your rest. And you don't want burnt-out ministers, believe me. Next one, honour your father and mother. I've grown increasingly to like that one. Didn't like it so much when I was younger, but now um, I think it should be thoroughly embraced. Do not murder. Nothing bad in that. Do not commit adultery. You know, something like over 40% of marriages are failing. Uh, one of the key reasons is adultery. It doesn't, you know, seems good to me. Not the adultery, the commandment. Uh, do not steal. Fair play. Do not give false testimony. Love a bit of gossip. Do not cover possessions or your neighbour's wife. You know, possessions and looking for, for what other people have got can drive us, can't it? So Ten Commandments will tell me which one of them is bad and God trying to spoil our fun. Which, which one of these is not there to protect society and keep it as God intended? And look at the state of it where people have walked away from God. Look at where the world is as it turns it back on God's law. One that Jesus expounded so much more and gave it so much depth in the Sermon on the Mount. Does it sound like rules and regulations to spoil our fun, or is it, is it parameters and goalposts uh, to say this is a safe way of going through life? And is the, is the motive, you know, I just want rules and regulations and things that you can't really live up to? Where can you find the real motive? Well, it's right at the beginning of that passage, passage in Exodus, just before the Ten Commandments. God says uh, in, in chapter 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He starts with what he's done for them. Why did he do it? Because they were God's people. He rescued them. Why did he rescue them? Because he loved them. So he's saying, because of who I am. He says, I am the Lord your God. Echoing the I am's, later found in the New Testament. When he's asked who he is in the Old Testament, who are you? I am who I am. 
He says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And he does that for us even now, not physically from Egypt, but he does bring us out of slavery to sin. And he does move us forward. And he does say the old has gone and the new has come. And he does say, give your lives back to me. I own them anyway. But his motive is love. Because, he's saying, because of who I am, because of my love for you, because of my heart towards you, please follow me. Show your love back to me. The motive is love. Now, when I was younger, I won't say again, um, uh, and I was little, one of our Saturday traditions was watching all the footballs on a Saturday in those days. Life was so much easier. Uh, three o'clock Saturday, that was it. And then you had that man who was, had no personality whatsoever, would read out the scores, wouldn't he? Around five o'clock, you know, West Ham. Three. Tottenham. Nil. <laughs> if only I heard that more often now. <laughs> But he had no personality. And I used to sit there with my dad. I used to sit there with my dad and we'd watch the football scores. But really, I wasn't that interested in football at the time. The most important thing for me was I sat there with dad. And the best thing about the football scores at that time for me was they ended. And once they ended, Doctor Who came on. And then that was brilliant. Remember old Doctor Who with the shaky sets? You know, really, really good. I used to love it. But there were times on the football scores I'd fall asleep. And I remember laying on the floor with my dad, and I put my, he was sort of laying facing forward to the TV, and I put my arm round his, his head. And then I woke up half an hour later, uh, because that person's voice would put anyone to sleep. And I was still like this, but my dad had disappeared. He'd gone, how did he get his head out? But I was like this, I just wanted to cuddle with dad, or I'd get on the settee, or whatever it was. It wasn't out of sense of duty, or I ought to, I just wanted to. As I went on, I think I've said to you before, he was a carpenter, so I wanted to be a carpenter. I was rubbish at woodwork. Just Dad did it and wanted to please him. I'm not a carpenter now. And then as you go later in life and his health is failing, I want to honour him. Actually, one of the commandments. And I want to give back that love that he gave. Why is that? A sense of duty, a sense of ought to? Does it sound like a rule book? Or is it just a reciprocal love of what's been given to me already? God said, I am the Lord your God who rescued you out of Egypt and brought you out of slavery. And whatever that is means for your life, he's done it. And he asked that reciprocal love. And all through his ministry, Jesus showed that real love for him wasn't fluffy or a soft, sentimental feeling. It's a committed, loving and joyful obedience to him, both to his teaching and the will of the Father. A committed obedience to him, the teaching, doing the will of the Father. He says in verse 21 of the passage I read, whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. It's not that you can prove the love, it's an evidence of the love. Jesus saw that the heart right with God was set in the context of wanting to live a life in line with the holiness of God, something that we've, we've missed a bit and lost a bit, and also a willingness to be about the Father's work because he's called you to be about his work. You come in the name of the Lord. You go in the name of the Lord. You are Christians. You bear the name of Christ. And we're to go about his work in the world today. And as ever, Jesus led, like any good leader should, by example, He knew his mission, and he knew it was going to cost. He could have stayed comfortable. You know, he kind of, we've got the Trinity. It was perfect relationship, yet he chooses to come to earth, to become like us, to identify with you, and pay for your wrongdoings. And he expects that love back. But look what he did. He knew his mission, Philippians 2, verse 8, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This meant that even when he knew the consequences, even when he knew what it would cost him 
to show his love to the Father and his love to you. And even when he knew the seriousness of those consequences and the sacrifice, even when he knew all of that, he cried in Gethsemane, not my will, but yours. And as followers of Jesus, who lives and died for me and for you, we're called to follow him out of love. He's purchased by that blood. I no longer belong to myself. Jesus has paid for me. He owns me. I belong to him. And so do you, if you're a follower of Christ. And in that sense, if I say that Jesus is Lord of my life, then I'm compelled to fulfil his teaching and direction for my life, and so are you. Not out of fear, not even out of duty sometimes, but out of reciprocal love. I think it was the famous cricketer C.T. Studd who said, if Jesus Christ died for me, nothing is too hard for me to do for him. He went on to become a missionary. The Holy Spirit is active in making the Lord's will clear to us and to you so we might live out God's purposes for today. Jesus hasn't left you alone in that. Sometimes we feel alone, don't we? We've never been left alone. He said, I will not leave you like orphans. That's what he said in that passage. And as we echo John 14, 15 and say, I love you and I will obey what you command. There's a promise in that obedience. Verse 16 and 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsel, another one like Jesus, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. In the Old Testament, the prophecies were there. I will put my spirit in you. I will remove your heart of stone. And he gives us the desire to want to please him. And you can see, without the help of the Holy Spirit, it is just duty, it is just rules, it is just regulation. But with God's love and the Spirit poured out into our hearts, and I I witnessed this in our church, people that just lay their lives down for God, give up so much time, um, uh, give insight, give, give time and service and love and care, not for any great reward apart from a treasure in heaven, just because God's put that heart in them. Yeah, speaking about Ian Moore, I went to visit him on Monday and um, um, I actually told a joke because he sat on his settee and he started, trying, he got a, he started moving a bit, which at the time, he's a bit better now, it wasn't good for him. And, and, he, and he, did, he sort of got his arm, he went, he said, oh, did, it hurts when I do that. And I told him that, that joke, you know, the, uh, I always say Henry Cooper, is it Henry Cooper? Was he the boxer? I'll get him all right now. Tommy Cooper, that's him. Um, Henry Cooper is good as well though but anyway Tommy Cooper and he said I went to the doctor and I said to the doctor hurts when I do that he said don't do it then you know so I said that to Ian stop twisting your arm you know he goes look it hurts look it hurts look I said stop doing it anyway when you look at Ian Moore you know he's on the staff and we have discussions about things he said Ian I would do this work whether you paid me or not I can't not do it it's in my heart it's in my being God has called me and that's all there is to it and, and that's the kind of heart I love. And it's a challenge. Uh, but he, he, it's in him. It's part of him. The spirit of God is within him. It's calling him to serve. Not out of sense of duty. Not out of sense I better do it. Not out of even a sense I'm paid to do it. He's just, he has to do it because the spirit of God has put that in his heart. And we see in the early church examples of the spirit of God working among the people, the church. And they were open to some quite some challenges. Acts 8.29, the spirit tells Philip to go to the chariot and stay close to it. I mean, I'm not sure how he did it, but Philip then runs along the chariot and an Ethiopian eunuch is converted and baptised. On the spot, but it was the Spirit who initiated it. In Acts 13, verse 2, the Holy Spirit calls the church to set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work he has in mind for them. 
And, and we do the same here, don't we? That if we identify somebody and we think that God is calling them, we set them apart in that particular role. Not just leadership roles, in all sorts of roles. Acts 16, verse 6, the Spirit sometimes stops people in their opinion, moving forward. The Spirit stops them from preaching and sharing the gospel in Asia. What you see is the Spirit of God active in directing and guiding the affairs of God's people. What that means for us as individuals and churches, we need to take seriously the call to listen and obey out of love what the Spirit of God wants to reveal to us. And he does that in many different ways. Uh, One of the primary ways for me is his word. Yeah, the words leap out sometimes. Sometimes um, I'm reading it and it's my, my delusions and it's fine, but they, 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 they leap out. The Holy Spirit makes this a living word of God and it speaks directly to us. And that's why it's so important. I mean, honestly, you can have sermon after sermon, read your Bible more and pray more and you still won't do it. But, but it's, it's not as a duty, it's out of God speaks. Who wouldn't want that? This is when Christianity is exciting. And I've noticed in my Bible devotion, I try and read the Bible now once a year. And, and there's easy ways to do that, actually. It's not that difficult. And what I'd recommend to you, the only problem with this is you're going to see where I get a lot of my illustrations from, uh, but there is a, an app, which I've mentioned before. It'll be easy to remember. It's Bible in One Year, um, or B-I-O-Y. Or if you like Nikki Gumbel on Facebook, who's the uh, vicar at Holy Trinity Brompton, or if you just subscribe to it, it costs nothing. But you get three readings a day, you get devotionals. I think it's one of the best ones out there. And for me, who's, who, you know, especially in this generation where we're sometimes addicted to social media, if I go through Facebook in the morning and then it comes up and I have a choice, I can, I can scroll down and I, I have a discipline. Now, no, I open it and I go through my devotion. It's normally about the third one because he publishes it one minute past midnight on the day. And so it'll come up fairly quickly. And do you know what it means? In the, in the whole year, you'll read the Bible once in all different ways. And, and you'll get insight and references, and it's really, really good, and it costs nothing. Bible in one year. I was going to have it on the PowerPoint. I've got issues. Um, anyway, uh, it's really important. There is a, a lack of biblical understanding in our churches, a lack of biblical knowledge, and we want more than knowledge. We want the information. We do need the transformation, apply it to our lives. And once established what he's saying for his word, it's very simple. We need to obey it. Uh, I was challenged recently. I was reading the Bible, and uh, I was asking God to speak to me, and it was nothing to do with a passage, but he spoke to me about two things. Uh, one I've already done, uh, and it hurt. It hurt. I'm not going to say what it was, but it hurt. It was painful. But I can tell you that since then, God has repaid that uh, to me in various ways, uh, many times over. And the other, I'm about to fix it. Um, but it's obedience. The Spirit speaks to us. And then God honours that. That's the promise of God. Uh, it can speak to us through brothers and sisters in Christ. Whenever I've got a big decision to make, I'll seek counsel uh, from people maybe more mature than me in the Christian faith. I use Ian Moore for that as well. My elders, I'll always go to somebody and seek advice and counsel, and they can give wisdom. And I won't always go to the people who I know will agree with me. He also lives within you, the Spirit of God. So it means your own thoughts and desires and passions you know, this was my call to be a Baptist minister. I didn't expect that when I got baptised. Within a year, I felt, of, well, even less than that, I felt a very, very strong call. When I felt called uh, to go to stock, it was a very strong call. I, I knew it was going to happen before it happened. My call here, I think I mentioned before, I said, oh, look at Colchester, look at Chelmsford. I thought they're trying to do the whole three-point alliteration thing, but it wasn't because Billericay's a B. And uh, they said, I said, no, I feel called to Billericay. We're going to have to go through this process. But it, without that devotional time, 
Even if I walk down the high street, it becomes an adventure. You know, we have the homeless people there and there's various things going around about them. Do you know, I have to tell you, sometimes I stop and we might buy them a pizza or a sandwich or whatever it is. And other times we pass them by and I don't speak to them. You know, and, and actually, the only difference is I, I quickly, God, am I supposed to stop at this point or not? And I, I allow the Holy Spirit to speak. And sometimes it just doesn't feel right. And other times, despite all circumstances, we'll, we'll do something. But it, the Spirit of God will speak to us. A supernatural way, angels, visions, dreams, prophecy, words of knowledge, signs in the natural world, very many different ways. Remember when I had to really make a commitment to God, I had a dream. I've told you it before, so I'm not going to go on about it, but it was a dream, and it really... Uh, made me question my commitment to God, and I had to reach out to the light, and I, I, had, a, I had a fear of hell, and he showed me hell, and I had a fear of it, and I screamed to Jesus to save me, and I'd serve him forever, and then light flooded the room, it was all in a dream, I woke up, and it, the dream was the room I was sleeping in, it was incredible. So he speaks in all sorts of different ways, I remember somebody uh, whose husband, Andrew and I, uh, she, the wife went on alpha, husband didn't want to know, no, it's the other way around. The husband went on alpha. The wife didn't want to know. And she woke up one night and um, she saw in the old days, alpha was a little man holding a big question mark. That was the imagery. And she saw it. She was awake. She said, I know to go on alpha. I got baptised. You know, so there's loads of different ways. Once we get to know the activity of the spirit better, we can then uh, discern, and when that's important, we discern his authentic guidance more effectively. Jeremiah 29, 11. It often quoted out of context, but it says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Once we discern the will of God, then we can move forward with confidence. And that's why every meeting we have, whether it's elders, deacons, church meetings, every day in the office on our devotionals, we pray. Um, every time we go in that room before us, we pray. Because without it, it's just nothing. It's just something that we're doing, not of God. And as we hand our plans over to him, he promises to guide us. And the God we've worshipped this morning has a plan and purpose for us, both corporately and individually, the life of this church in its ministry, potentially its premises. But all of it, we must seek him. He's strategic. I mean, which one of us, if you think about it in the book of Acts, you know, you know you've got your 12... Um, you know, and then 120, and then have a good day, it's 3,000. Who else? Is a tr- I would have been, I've got a mega church of 3,000, let's keep them all here. But the church gets scattered. Who would have thought of that strategically? Yet God knew. And he'll mould and shape our lives and churches to fit together to achieve his plans within our local area. But he'll not only reveal his plans for us to follow and obey, he'll also equip us with what we need to do what he requires. Look at the world as it's turned its back on God. Hatred, discord, rebellion to God. What if we really chose to love God, to love others, to be the peacemakers? You know, the result of the way the world is going, people don't feel they belong or have a destiny, they're going into gangs, they sell harm, they don't know their identity, there's murder, there's violence, the value of life has been undermined. That's turning away from God. Obedience is his key. Many of his promises are given to those who follow and serve him faithfully. In the covenantal promises in the Old Testament, the foundational response that God looks for from his people is that love and obedience. Some obey out of fear, some out of duty, but the Lord looks for people who so love him, they want to please him and honour him in the way they live and act. Looking for a people who so desire his honour and glory to be made manifest in their lives that their whole lives are given in service to him. Imagine the impact 
if the so-called third of the world who say they're Christians would do exactly that. In Deuteronomy 28, Moses shows uh, that the blessings for Israel follow obedience. It says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations. These blessings shall come upon you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. In 30, 11 to 19, shows they have a choice to walk in obedience and receive blessing or disobedience and see punishment. Basically a mess without God. It's the offer of life and death. I'm going to read it to you, Deuteronomy 28, 11. Now what I'm commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you may have to ask who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you have to ask who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Now the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. And Moses, after uh, re-establishing the law, he says to them, See, I set you before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, decrees and laws. Then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you are not obedient, and if you are drawn away to bow down to other gods and worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earths as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. And this is where Moses is a great evangelist. He doesn't give him an option between life and death. He says, now choose life. There is only one option. Choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land he swore to give to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. See, it wasn't too hard or difficult for them to see, but they had a choice to walk in obedience and receive blessing or disobedience and then God uses punishment just to bring them back out of love. And it means that when we become Christians, the Lord sets us on a path of freedom. But it's his path, his ways. Now you'll know, I'm coming to to end soon, you'll know that I've been skiing. And when you go skiing, you go on pistes, right? And they're safe, sort of. Um, Skiing's not a safe sport. But if you stay on the piste, generally it'll be okay. At least if you crash, you'll be found. And there's warning signs everywhere, you know, this is where you go down and follow that. If you start darting between the trees and go off piece and doing things your own way, you're in danger. And it's nobody's fault in, 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 apart from yours. You know, stay, the signs are not there to, to, to ruin your fun. The boundaries are there to increase your fun, to protect you. You know, why do we see God's rules as there to stop our fun? It stops me from being hurt or killed. There are boundaries. We need to seek his will, not ours. God's plans, not ours. Psalm 137, unless the Lord builds the house, they labour in vain, those who build it. The word of God challenges me and you this morning. I believe the spirit is speaking. I don't say that lightly. But you've had difficult years. And now we've had three years of kind of stability. The team is being built. And now we're going to focus on our mission as well. As we come to the AGM coming up fairly soon in April, we'll have our away day again. I'd encourage all of you to come. It's open to members and non-members. But the word of God challenges us this morning. We're going to hear about how we're going to move forward. But you've been created by God, saved and purchased by Christ. But there's a purpose. 
and it's for the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do as a church. You're co-workers with him, which is an incredible privilege. You're co-workers with him in his kingdom plans and purposes. And what God's looking for is that love and obedience and response to him, to what Christ has done and to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Imagine if I asked someone for a lift to church. Can I have a lift to church? No. The next week, can I have a lift to church? No. The next week, can I have a lift to church? No. Eventually, I'm going to stop asking. And you'll all be glad that I'm not here. (laughs) Um, I don't want God to stop asking us. I don't want us to stop seeking his face. We always need to be seeking the guidance of God. Not for our own plans and asking him to bless them. Not our own agendas and guesswork. But sometimes it means asking him and living by faith and not by sight. And sometimes that's sacrificial and unnerving. It means a loving service because we love God. A willing service because Jesus died for us. Not a hard heart and I'm doing this and I'm going to moan about it. It's a focus on mission. As I say about the AGM, sign up for that. It's such an encouraging day. We want to be encouraging to be a force for good. Pushing forward. It means sacrificial giving. We want to do so much more in ministry and finance is part of that. We were working, we were just having a chat in the office the other day and we said, even not, uh, disre- not disregarding, but not counting regular attenders, if each member gave a pound extra a week, we are far beyond what we need for our budget. So think about the giving. That should encourage your children when they put in a bag. It's not just a, uh, a little thing. It counts because there's so much we want to do for God. But not just for finance's sake. And as I finish, I've got a quote from Rob Jones. We may not like the term prosperity that many use in the church today. In fact, at times it may seem absurd to talk about prosperity when many Bible-believing, water-spirit-anointed Christians now live in countries where even finding enough food to eat and water to drink is a daily struggle. Much of the prosperity theology that is thrown around is nothing more than a thinly-veiled, selfish, need-meeting philosophy There's more to do with the Western preoccupation with self and materialism than the truths and promises of God. However, there is a prospering in the Lord that the word of God gives us. There is a clear victory, peace and joy that is established by Jesus for those who follow him. It is a prosperity that overcomes the world and does not compromise with it. It is a prosperity that empowers for works of service and love and is not about my felt needs always taking priority. It is a prosperity that equips us to show the generosity of God to the needy, broken-hearted and poor, rather than keeping all the blessings to ourselves. This promise of God's prosperity is founded clearly on the basis that our lives become living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. It's being focused on heavenly rewards as we spend the inheritance of our lives in service to God, at work, at home and in the communities we live. It is that we have the maturity of Christ, to cry out, Lord, not my will, but yours. And as we ask for and expect guidance from the Holy Spirit, as we come to meetings and ask him to guide us, as our lives are spirit-led, when it becomes an adventure, because you've prayed beforehand, going down the high street or the supermarket in your workplace, and expect God to work in your lives, it would be an amazing journey, and it would change people's lives for good. And I've just got a challenging question How would our everyday experience of God change if we really invited the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us, personally and as a church? How would the predictability in your life change if you said to Jesus, you speak, Lord, and I will obey? We don't want to be too comfortable. God calls us to step out more in faith, putting him first in our devotions, uh, returning to our first love and hearing from him. 
He promises to fill us with his spirit who gives us the passion for the things that God is passionate about. And so we have to say, and we're going to respond now as the musicians come back up, we have a desire to honour God, a time to give him your all. This is the time now to say, I want to give everything back to you. I want to give you my heart, my soul, my mind, love, strength, service, everything I have is yours because you purchased me for you. To say your will, not mine, because he first loved you. And we're going to sing a song. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a song. And in this time now, we've got about 10 minutes or so. Um, if you feel God has spoken to you, I'm sure he has. Uh, he spoke to me as I prepared it. Um, and if you want prayer, just pray in your seats or ask someone next to you to pray for you. If you want one of the elders or me, uh, just make yourself known and uh, we'll pray for you. After the service, obviously, there'll be our normal prayer ministry team as well. But use this time and use these songs that Bernard has picked. They're perfect to respond in worship and to give God your everything and to say, okay, now I will be obedient. Not because I have to, I want to because I love you because you first loved me I'm the Lord your God who rescued out of Egypt set you free from slavery he's rescued all of us my only act of worship is say Lord I give you my heart give you my soul and I trust in you alone so Father we thank you for your word and as we respond in worship now may we offer up our single prayers or pray for one another could there be a hum of prayer in, in in the church Lord as we offer our lives afresh to you in Jesus name Amen.